very kind invitation to come and join you, sharing the Word of God once again. Thank you very much for a very warm welcome. It's a joy to be back here with you. Uh, earlier this year, I happened to be in a conversation with uh, a few Christian folks, be uh, parents uh, and grandparents, about my kind of age, quite young. <clears throat> And uh, in the course of conversation, one of the, uh, the men that I know very, very well, in fact, member of our church, uh, started to talk about his son and daughter. And uh, these, these two children were brought up in an evangelical Bible-believing home where Bible was read to them and prayers were said to them, said with them. Uh, they were brought up to come along to church, to our church, and they went through all the children's work, the Sunday school work and the youth groups and so on. And then, uh, so very, very often happens, especially as you know here in Loughborough, the young people go off to university and then they meet friends and so on, uh, came out of university, started to build their careers, got married and had children of their own. And uh, the reason that we were talking about this and our friend was, was mentioning this is because now his son and his daughter, married, as I say, got children of their own, or doing very well, uh, the jobs are going well, nice homes. Um, and uh, when they come and see their parents, they're very, very happy to talk about Christian things and for them to say grace at the table and so on and so forth. But the fact of the matter is that none of them are interested They are just not interested when it comes to the things of God. They've heard the good news of the the gospel. They've listened to all the accounts of scripture through their years of growing up. And now everything's going well for them and they are just not interested. And I thought to myself, well... My friend's not the only one who's got loved ones who are in that situation. Or who knows people who are like that. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised if every one of you here will know someone, maybe a member of a family, son, daughter, granddaughter, grandson, brother, sister, parents, have heard the things of God. But frankly... They're just not interested. And that set me thinking. I thought to myself, well, this can't be anything new. This must have been around for a very, very long time. Surely, Jesus came across people like this, didn't he? And that set me thinking. And that took me to Luke's Gospel and chapter 12. Luke's Gospel and chapter 12. And an incident... That, incl- that, that involves what I'm going to call a heedless caller. A heedless caller. What happens here is that this chappy is in the crowd. We know that because we are told that right there in verse 13 of Luke chapter 12. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Here's somebody who no doubt had heard about the Lord Jesus Christ, otherwise he wouldn't be there. 
He's interested to a degree in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's probably like many, many people who came along in those days because they were quite fascinated by what he was saying, the way he said things, the amazing miracles that he was doing. This was a real phenomenon. And probably at this point in Jesus' ministry, he's at the height of his popularity. People are coming from all over to see him, hear him, and watch him, and bring their loved ones and come themselves to be healed and to be helped. In fact, uh, the likelihood is that these incidents are taking place in the Galilee area. This man may well have come from there, so he may well have been aware of Jairus and Jairus' daughter being healed, the widow of Nain's son being uh, restored to life, demons cast out, all kinds of amazing things going on. And so along with many, many others in a crowd, he comes along and speaks out to the Lord Jesus Christ. He comes because he's got a problem, like many, many other people in that crowd. And he's got convinced, I think, that the Lord's authoritative voice can solve his problem. If only Jesus will take up my cause, everything will be fine. And so, he calls out from the crowd, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It would make common sense to think that this man, his father has recently died, and there's an inheritance, and he's got an older brother, and his older brother is refusing to share the family inheritance with him. It's the old, old story, and we all know it, where there's a will, there's always relations. And that's exactly what's happening here. And there's a a battle going on in the family about who gets what. He may well have had a legitimate claim to the family inheritance and he probably came along to Jesus and fairly confident because he knew he'd got scripture behind him. Because uh, Numbers 27, Deuteronomy 21, talk about every, uh, uh, dividing an inheritance fairly. And what's more, he probably called out to Jesus with a significant degree of confidence because it had been obvious to him, he'd been observing the fact that Jesus was clearly concerned about justice and fairness. And he'd got a claim for justice and fairness. It's also evidence, also evident that the Lord Jesus was concerned about the poor and the needy. And here he was, his brother had got the money and he hadn't. So surely, if Jesus tells his brother to divide the inheritance, he's going to have to do it. And so he calls out, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. The reply of Jesus in verse 14 came as a real damp squib. Because Jesus says to him, Man, he says to him, Who's made, who's appointed me a judge? or an arbiter between you. Jesus' answer is uh, quite straightforward. He's saying, look, you've got your own courts for this kind of business, and I have no authority in those courts whatsoever. I've not been appointed a judge. I've not been appointed a magistrate. It's not my role to be sitting on the bench and adjudicating these kind of things. This is really nothing to do with me. And the point that Jesus is really making behind that is the fact that I've come here, not for these things, I've come here for far, far more important matters. I've come to seek and to save the lost. I've come for the forgiveness of sins. I've come to rescue sinners. 
I've certainly not come here in order to adjudicate on giving somebody like you a nice, easier, comfortable lifestyle. That is not what I'm about. And Jesus took the opportunity then, as we read in verse 15, to warn the crowd around him. Took this opportunity as a result of this question to say to everybody that's around there, now, watch out you folks. Be on your guard. Be aware of the danger of all kinds of greed or covetousness. You need to be careful of this kind of thing. You need to be wary. You need to be wary of the corrupting influences of the desire to keep on accumulating more and more things and to be better and better off. You've got to be careful about that. You've got to be aware of the danger of it. All kinds of greed. Maybe for some the desire to actually possess more money or for someone else to be uh, better recognised or to gain promotion. Or, he says, whatever it is you're, you're, you're going for in this life, you've got to be careful it doesn't take over your life. Don't let the things of this world take over your life. You all need, he says, to be careful of that and to be aware of that. Now, Jesus didn't say it's wrong to have things. He didn't say it was uh, wrong to uh, have ambition and desire and get on in the world. He didn't say there was anything wrong with that. He didn't even say it was wrong for this guy to have a fair share of the inheritance. He didn't say anything like that to him. But what he did say to him and to the crowd is this. What you've got to remember as you think about these things is that the life doesn't consist in the abundance of a person's possessions. Life does not consist in what you possess. When Luke was inspired to write this gospel... He could have used two words that would have described what Jesus said. He could have used the word life, which is life here on earth. Earthly life. There was a word for that. And that would have included, with this man and everybody else listening, this would have included their standard of living. In other words, he would have been talking to them about mortal life. This life. But he didn't use that word. What he used to describe what Jesus said is the life that means immortal life. The life that goes beyond this life and over into the next life. So that, for example, later on in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, you get the phrase about the Lord Jesus Christ who ever lives to make intercession for us. And the word that's used there for live or life is the word that is put here in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, and in verse 15. That kind of, sorry, yeah, is it verse 15? It must be, yeah, something like that. Uh, Sorry, no, verse, yeah, 15. Yeah, it's all right, I should have gone to Specsavers. So he's talking about the life that goes on from now and into eternity. It's the kind of life that Jesus has got. His resurrection, powerful, exalted life at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's saying the life that really matters is not the life you're living down here. 
What really matters is the life of that soul of yours that is going to go on living forever and ever more. That's the kind of life. That kind of life, soul life, immortal life, does not consist or does not find its satisfaction, does not find its fullness in the things that you can possess and the things that you can do, the experiences you can accumulate. It does not consist in what you experience and have down here. The point he's making is that's the kind of life that you need to be thinking about. And don't allow yourself to be dominated with just life down here. You see, the problem with this heedless caller is this. He was concerned only about the standard of living down here. He was not concerned about the state of his soul in eternity. Here is a man who is concerned only about his possessions in this life. And he's not paying any heed to his position in the next. He's just not interested. Why do I say he's heedless? Well, he's heedless because it would appear that up to now he has been listening to what Jesus has previously been saying. Because he's, although he starts off talking to his disciples, it's evident that, he, that the crowd around are hearing him as well. So what is it that, this, that Jesus has been saying? What is it that this fellow has been listening to? Well, if you just look back on those verses that were read to us from uh, in the earlier part of chapter 12, you'll find there that Jesus has been talking about fearing the God who has authority to kill the body and cast people into hell. He's been talking about the fact that this same God is the God who cares and loves people and the whole of his creation because he never forgets a sparrow and he knows the very hairs of your head. He cares for people and he cares about people. That's this God. Jesus goes on to say that it's important to acknowledge him down here and stand with him and speak up for him. Because if you do, when you get to heaven or when you get to glory, when you get beyond the grave, he'll speak up for you and stand by you. But of course, if you don't stand up for him and you don't stand with him, come the day of judgment, he's not going to stand with you. He's not going to speak up for you. And then Jesus goes on to talk about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and the danger of going to eternity with unforgiven sin. Now this man's in the crowd, he's hearing all this. But he's not really heeding it. It's that kind of thing. It's become a thing, you know. It, it happens, doesn't it, nowadays? Or uh, Somebody will be saying something and somebody will say, I hear you. I hear you. And it's a way of saying, I'm not going to take any notice. Like I've just heard the words, but that, that's as far as it's gone. I hear you. And in effect, that's what's happening with this fella here. He's not paying attention 
He's hearing the words, but he's not heeding the promises and the warnings concerning eternity. All this man is concerned about is living this life. And I think there's an element of that that's obvious in the way he addresses the Lord Jesus when he calls out to him in verse 13. He calls him, teacher, tell my brother. Doesn't call him Lord. Doesn't do what other people do and bow down and come down on their hands and knees in front of him and acknowledge him to be Lord. He does not looking to him as saviour. He's looking to him as a means to become more wealthy and more happy. Teacher, tell my brother to give me a better standard of living and a nice, steady life. And I think the tragedy today is that there are so many people still who, like my friend's children, have gone to an evangelical church, they've gone through the Sunday school and they've gone through the youth meetings, they've gone out into the big wide world, And all they're interested in is this life. What they can possess. What they can get out of it. They've been through all the church activities and some of them still come. People who come on Sunday mornings, maybe Sunday evening, come to our old dears meetings. I can call them our old dears meeting because I am one of the old dears who goes to the meetings now. They come to our ladies meetings, our men's meetings, whatever other kind of meetings you have. And they are hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ, but frankly, they are still just not interested. Life is full of living this life. Especially that's true with the youngsters, isn't it? They're constantly being told, you've got you've to try and be what you want to be. Grow up to be who you should be and so on and so forth. Gain what you want. Fulfill your ambitions. Achieve your goals. Do your bucket list. This is what life's about for so many many people today concerned only and entirely with this life. No interest in the life of their immortal soul. Just not interested. This heedless caller. So how did Jesus respond to this heedless caller? Well, the answer is he told him a story. Told them all a story called a parable. It's called the parable of the rich fool. And in this parable, Jesus, in verses 16 to 20, introduces us to a guy I'm going to call a a thoughtless character. A thoughtless character. He's a farmer. He's a wealthy farmer. Because Jesus says, the ground of a rich man yielded an abundant harvest. This guy's already wealthy. He's already well enough off. And then as he's walking through his fields, as the harvest is growing, what does he notice? He notices that the ears of corn, wheat, whatever he is growing, are fuller and more abundant than he has ever seen before. He has never seen a harvest growing like this. 
Never seen it like it before. It's an absolute bumper crop. An amazing harvest. This guy, although he's already wealthy, he can see by looking across his fields, he's going to be richer now than he's ever been before. He's won the lottery, if you like, of his day. But very interesting. As he contemplates his wealth, he starts to realise he's got problems. What am I going to do with it all, he says. Where's it all going to go? Where am I going to store it? What am I going to do? So he starts thinking, I'm going to have to solve this. this I've got to, well, the time's going on. We've got to get this stuff in. We've got to store it somewhere. What am I going to do? Right. Well, then he comes to a solution. I'm going to break down the barns I've got, take them down, and I'm going to build bigger ones. Well, you can't do that in five minutes. The crops are growing in the ground. Time's going on. So he's got to get the, uh, the plans done. He's got to get the footings done. Quick. He's got to get this place up and build these barns. Ready. He's, he's got major problems on his hands right now. Getting this stuff in and getting it stored and so on. He's working on it. Trying to solve his problems. And then as he thinks a bit further and uh, begins to get to grips with uh, what's going on, it suddenly dawns on him. That wonderful thought that we all think about. Well, some of you. Early retirement. I'm all right, I'm late retirement now. But early retirement. He says it, doesn't he? I've got many goods stored up now and I've got all this stuff in. I'm I'm so well placed. I can now put my feet up. I can take it easy. I can eat, drink. I can be happy. My life is set now. I'm never going to have to work again. Great. Wonderful. And don't pretend you wouldn't like a life like that. This is what kind of life he he wants, like so many people do. So, why do I say he's thoughtless? So, if you look through this, he's been doing a lot of thinking. He's thought about his problems. And incidentally, notice this. Just notice this as we go past it. People think that if they win the lottery, or something like it, all their problems are solved. What people don't think about is... If you've got money, you've got problems. The better off you are, the more problems you get, I think. Imagine it. Imagine somehow you suddenly discovered that tomorrow morning you've got £50 million. You're smiling, I know. Then you think, but what am I going to do with it? There's no point putting it in the bank. Because if you put it in the bank, it earn you anything so what you're going to do you're going to put it into shares alright then then you're going to worry about them have your shares gone up or have they gone down and if they've gone down you're going to lie awake at night trying to work out how much you've just lost today wealth doesn't solve your problems it usually increases them and it's amazing if you've suddenly discovered you've got 50,000 50 million pounds you'd be amazed how many friends you've got And how many charities there are begging for your money and so on. And that's what this man was finding. 
the wealthier he became, the more problems he had. But why was he thoughtless? The first thing is he never thought about where it comes from. He never thought about where it comes from. This man has been brought up with the Old Testament. He's a Jew. He's been brought up to know God, know about God. And he never thought to stop and think here, it's God who makes the grass grow for the cattle. It's God who makes the plants grow for people to cultivate. It's God who makes all these things so that they may bring forth food from the earth. He never stopped to think, I ought to thank God. Never stopped to think about the fact that he owed God the thanks and praise for a bumper and bountiful harvest. It was a bumper harvest. And he never thought about the fact that it comes from a bountiful God. Never thought. Something else he didn't think about. He never thought about the fact that he'd already got loads of barns. He didn't need to build bigger and more barns. He was surrounded by barns. Jesus said, you'll always have the poor with you. There were people all around. He could have taken his excess. He didn't need the excess. He was wealthy enough already. He could have taken the excess and he could have gone round the town and round the villages feeding the poor, feeding the hungry, the widows, the orphans. He could have done so much good. He could have served his God in wonderful ways with his excess. Scripture says he could have thought about Proverbs chapter 19. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. This guy could have gone down as famous in history because he could have been the first man to invent free food banks. See, Joseph sold food, but he sold it. People had to buy it from Joseph. This guy could have been giving it away. He'd have been famous. He never thought about the scriptures that tell him he can use his goods to serve others and serve the Lord. And then he didn't think about something else. He should have thought about the book of Proverbs again. He would have been familiar with it. He'd been brought up with it. He never thought that Proverbs say, Do not boast about tomorrow. You do not know what the day may bring forth. He's congratulating himself on having much goods for many years. Never stop to think, the Bible says. Can't even promise yourself tomorrow. Can't even promise yourself many days. Let alone many years and that's why I say this chap was a thoughtless character he never stopped to think about these vital things and I think that's the situation we face all around us in our families among our friends with our work colleagues people that you live by on this estate I argue that one of the great problems we face in the UK today is that people have stopped thinking. 
people have stopped thinking. It's all about self-fulfillment. It's all about self-satisfaction. It's all about enjoyment and entertainment. It's all about, do I look good in this? I think if I believed in evolution, I would imagine that in a few thousand years' time, babies will be born with earphones instead of ears and tablets in their hands with buttons and screens. Because, you see, also people, even the oldens now, you see them on the bus and the street, can't be anywhere without entertainment. Can't stop and think for a little while. Nowadays. Here we are, we live in a land where generally speaking, generally speaking, people are well off, we are well off. But still totally consumed in getting what we can out of this life. Not interested in the next not thinking about it. No thought for God. No thought for the Word of God. Even amongst those that know the Word of God, they're brought up in Christian homes, came through our Sunday schools, taught the Gospel, still not thinking. No concept of having been made for the glory of God and with abundant opportunities for the service of God. A thoughtless character. And then Jesus brings this little story about this character to a hopeless conclusion in verses 20 and 21. He brings this story about this man to a hopeless conclusion because verse 20, after he's made all his plans, got everything sorted out, then God said to him, You fool. You silly man, you foolish man, this night your life is required of you. This life, this night your life will be demanded from you. And it's the word life. It's your soul life. And when the Lord demands your soul life, He takes that life from everything you and I possess. He's going to take that man out of everything he'd done and everything he'd got. Remove him completely from it all. And that's why Jesus asks the quote, makes the point, asks the question, who will get what you've prepared for yourself when God takes you away? Who was going to get this man's wealth? That's the question he was asking him. All right, if you get your inheritance from your brother, when God demands your soul, your life, and takes away, who's going to get it there and who's going to get the rest of it? Where's it going to go? You see, it would seem that this man didn't appear to have any relatives, didn't appear to have any plans to leave any of it to anybody. He never says, we have plenty of goods laid up for many years. We can take it easy. It's all about himself. In fact, in these, it seems, if you count them up, ten times in three sentences he refers to himself and nobody else. It's all about himself. And the point is this. Jesus asked the question, who will all these goods be for when God 
demands your soul? The answer is, they'll be absolutely no good to him. They'll be absolutely no good to him. And then Jesus addresses, moves off from the story to make his final conclusion as he says to everybody, now that's how it's going to be. That's how it's going to end up. That's how it's going to be. For whoever stores up things for themselves and is not rich toward God. This is how it will end for every single soul who is foolish enough to only live for this life. Who is foolish enough to live for this life and the possessions that they can have down here and give no thought to the soul life they possess that will take them into eternity. Jesus says it's a foolish thing to die rich, but without the riches of Christ's righteousness. It's a foolish thing to go to the grave without the saving grace of God. Don't let it happen to you. Don't let it happen to you. But if things stay as they are, it's going to happen to an awful lot of people we know. And people we love, in my family, your family, your friends, your neighbours and mine, can be a terrible lot of people to whom this is going to happen. So what have we got to do? We can only do what Jesus did. We've got to warn them and tell them. Don't die thoughtless and heedless of God. Think about life. Life that lasts forever. Because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, every one of us, including our children and our grandchildren, brothers, sisters, parents. We're all going to be there. We're all going to be there to receive what each of us have done. We've got to be able to try and tell them. And I know it's hard, very hard. But then the second thing as we finish here is don't give up. Don't give up. There's a lady in our church this year, brought her daughter up, Christian home, all through the church, etc, etc, learned all the stories the Bible says, etc, etc went off, she's, she actually didn't go to university she decided to develop her own career and she's done very well done very well earlier this year met a major, major crisis and turned to God do you know what she said to her mum a few weeks ago she says to her mum mum, all the seeds that were sown in the home and in the Sunday school and the youth group suddenly They've all come to fruition. Don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. The Saviour can still save. 
people in your family and mine, friends and neighbours and colleagues. Let's pray for them. Pray for them. There's one last thing to say. It's this. And it's a serious matter. Maybe uh, these people in our families and friends who are just not interested, who are not concerned about living in the light of eternity and judgment and the things of God, why are they not taking these things seriously? Is it because you and I are not taking them seriously enough? The Apostle Paul says to the Christians in, Corinth, uh, in Colossae, sorry, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated. At the right hand of God, set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. And if we are not like that enough, why should they be interested? Worth thinking about. We need to pray not only for them, we need to pray for ourselves as well.